What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is Dog Talk with your host, Holden. Glad to have you guys here tonight as we get ready for another episode, the final episode that we're going to have here in the 2023 season, season four of Dog Talk. Uh, This will be the final episode of the season as we kind of get ready to wrap up things uh, on the season. I mean, it's the end of the season has come and gone. The regular season is over. The SEC championship game is over. Um, Bowl season starts. College football playoff starts. And unfortunately, Georgia will not be a part of it this season. We've got plenty to talk to tonight, talk about, I should say. Uh, plenty to catch up on from, obviously, the game, from the committee's decisions that they've made. We've got a lot to talk about uh, in this episode, so let's kind of kind of gear that direction. If you guys don't mind, make sure you guys follow us on socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the things, at Dog Talk 20 or X, whatever it is. I think I'll always call it Twitter. Um, if you guys are listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that thumbs up button. And if you haven't already, make sure you guys subscribe. And if you're listening on podcasts, wherever you're listening, please give us that five-star review uh, and rating. I would greatly appreciate that. Now let's kind of get into it. Um, obviously, things did not go the way that we wanted them to in the SEC championship game. Georgia falls to Alabama yet again, 27-24. to um, A game that... We talked about it last week. I I had a feeling like Georgia would win this game. had a feeling there's the possibility Georgia could win it big, uh, and it just didn't happen. And I kind of started looking at uh, a bunch of stats. I started looking at a bunch of different things, and I I can't can't necessarily come up with the, the perfect answer as to why this game happened the way that it did. I've seen some film breakdowns. I've watched like Brooks Austin and how he breaks a lot of things down. I've seen the adjustments that are made and and what I look at on paper. I've seen a couple of these things and sometimes I still scratch my head, but there's a lot of, you know, there's always going to be the conversation of, "Oh, well what about this guy? What if this happened? What if that happened?" And uh and I never want to, and even in the past, I've never wanted to be one of those guys who's like, yeah, but if this didn't happen or if, if this, I do not want to be an ifer, and I'm not going to be that. You know, we, we talked about that a couple of years ago when that came up. Every time that it comes up, it's it's annoying to hear that, so I don't want to be the one that's saying it. You know, you can't, can't, be, uh, uh, can't be hypocritical in that way. So we're not going to do that. Um, but I will say, you know, we weren't 100% in this game. That's still not an excuse, regardless. Even if you're not 100%, you have to find a way to win the game uh, if you're going to be a champion. And unfortunately, that didn't happen um, in this game, no matter how beat up you are. Uh, There were a couple of times I was watching Lad limp in this football game, and I was like, man, just at this point, we got to get somebody in there with fresh legs, somebody who can can make plays for us. We, We really need that right now. Not that we don't want Lad on the field, but at the same time, it's like, hey, he, he's hurt. Man, he's hurt. And in a way, him being on the field hurt, unless there's just nobody behind him, we have got to find a way to put somebody on there who can who can try to make some plays for us and is not as hurt as Ladd is. And, again, I understand the heart. I understand the passion. You know, we have these games where, where we talk about in history, they go down as the Michael, Michael Jordan flu game, uh, the game, and pitching with the bloody sock. I mean, there's so many different sports references where guys play through injury. They play when they're hurt. They play when they're down, but they play anyways. And uh, credit to him. I mean, he did everything that he could in this game. He had catches in the game. 
not going to say they were difference makers, but at the same time with him not on the field, you don't know what would have happened. So you can't really use that, you know, if he wasn't out there um, scenario. And, again, we don't want to do that. Um, I hate that he was hurt. It stinks. It's all there is to it. Um, if he was healthy, we don't know. So we're not going to speculate it. Same thing with Brock. Don't think he was 100%, but you know, and we talked about that as coming into this game, he was not going to be off of that football field. There was no way that you were going to have Brock Bowers not be present in the SEC championship game uh, because he's going to do everything that he could to get on the field, and he did that. You could tell he wasn't 100% either, um, but he gave it everything that he had. I'm so proud of both of those guys for, for doing everything that they possibly could to get in this game, play in this game, even though things did not end the way uh, that we wanted them to end, unfortunately. Um some of the statistics that I looked at and a couple of the turning points in this game, uh, with exception to later in the game, um, turnovers wasn't really a key, not really not really a big mistake, kind of a football game. This was just two hard-nosed football teams going at each other, uh, a team who has beat Georgia time and time again when they've come ahead head-to-head. Um, and a team in Georgia who is doing everything that they can to beat that team and just for whatever reason cannot seem to get over the hump. Unfortunately, right here, Kirby is now 1-5 against the against Alabama in his tenure here at the University of Georgia. Now, that doesn't mean that you get rid of the guy, and I've not heard that, luckily, um, because when you're defending back-to-back two-time national champion, you don't say stuff like that if you if your coach can't beat one team but he's beating everybody else and winning a national championship. You've got to take that in stride uh, with what it is, and 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 it's a dang good thing. It's a it's a really good thing because there's a lot of other coaches out there that aren't doing it. Matter of fact, however many teams there are in the league right now, every single one of them is not doing it except for Kirby over the Kirby over the last two seasons. Um, and you hate it. You hate it. You know, this was a win streak that had been going on, and I said it before we played it. Uh, this is not the team that I want to lose to. This is not the team that – you don't want to lose at all, but it's going to eventually come to an end. Uh, but this is not the team that I want to lose and, and that streak go away to, um, mainly because it is not really – the team, it's not really the coaching on the other side of the ball. It's the fan base. That's what makes it so difficult because we're not interacting with the players. We're interacting with the fan base as fans, as as media members, and that's what you see. That's what you have to listen to for the next 365 days until you play again next year, which we did. We will be anyways, I should say, uh, as the 2024 schedule dropped earlier. I'll also try to run through it really quickly too by the end of this thing, but if I don't, hey, you guys see it everywhere, so that's uh, no big deal. So let's kind of let's kind of dive into this game before we move into some other stuff. Georgia on the night. Get my right paper pulled up here because I've got about f- sixteen of them. I think is what we ended up with this in this one. Georgia two hundred forty three total yards on the night. One hundred ninety two is what Alabama had. Excuse me, I had that wrong. Three hundred twenty one total yards for Georgia. Three hundred six uh, for Alabama. I was reading you the passing stat line. 243 yards through the air for Georgia, 192 for Alabama, 78 yards on the ground for Georgia, 114 for Alabama. Only one turnover in this game. Again, mistake-free football for the most part until Georgia had the one uh, mistake, and that came by way of a fumble in the third quarter. Uh, Alabama had the ball only a couple of minutes longer in this game. 
one of the biggest differences in this football game, uh, which Georgia has been very successful at and very successful on both sides of the ball at, is third down conversions and stopping teams at third down. Now, defensively, Georgia did their job at stopping Alabama on third down. They were third, three for 13 on the night. But the problem is, offensively, we were not as productive as, as we have been. And this is one of the keys to the game and, and one of the key reasons that Georgia wasn't as effective in this game. Georgia goes four for 12 uh, on third downs in this game. Four for 12. Uh, in a season where Georgia, I think, was in the 70th percentile, where there where 70-something percent is where Georgia had been sitting all season on that third down conversion. And you go you go four for 12. It's, it's not very good at all. Well, well under that percentage um, in this game. And made a big difference in the game. There were there were multiple times where I had not seen Georgia do this for whatever reason. Where where swing like a little swing. It's not a pass, but you know what I'm saying. Wide receivers going for a pitch wide, pitching it out wide to the outside, trying to get green grass. And two or three times, I can't remember. I, I was just scratching my head, going, "What are we doing?" Every every time we did it, left right didn't matter. Eight Alabama defenders are coming straight at us, and they're stopping us immediately. And I think two of those happened on third down plays. And we either lost yardage, got back to the line of scrimmage, that was it. We weren't gaining first downs off of those. And that one kind of made me scratch my head. That was a little bit of coaching where I was like, okay, the whole game in in itself is not something I'm going to look at and go, man, Bobo really, really struggled in this game. Uh, but those were that was an area. Third down offense was an area where I was like, man, we're, we're really not – making the best plays. And I was trying to look and see if I could find what the third down average was, like yardage. Um, but I, unfortunately, I didn't end up having it here only for what I was looking for um, because I think that would also be a beneficial number to have. You know, if the average is third and eight, something like that, yeah, you're not you're not going to have the most success in that. But when you get third and short, two and three yards, um, we went pretty heavy to the run game in trying to convert those, and it wasn't happening. And I get it, off of a game that you ran really well against Georgia Tech, um, it didn't happen as well against that defensive line of Alabama, who was doing a really good job. Now, credit out to Carson Beck in this game because he only got sacked in the game two two times, and that's also credit to your offensive line for being able to hold defensive line back uh, from Alabama. But Carson Beck, 21 for 29, 243 yards, and again, only getting sacked twice in this game. Um Carson did a really good job in this game. And I've heard a couple of people say, man, we, we needed more out of Beck, and, and we didn't. Uh, he did his job. He had eight incomplete passes on the night, threw really well. Um, there were a couple of passes where it was like, whoa, you know, that could have been intercepted, luckily not. Um, I mean, defenders wrapped around a couple of guys on a couple of plays. And we're going to talk about the, the officiating in this game because it was atrocious at times. And I know that there are calls that they missed that should have been called against Georgia. Um, but there were a whole, whole lot more on the other side of the ball that were not called. Um, and we're not going to make that excuse either, but we're going to shed light on it nonetheless because we don't have to make the excuse the game's over, nothing matters, can't go back, can't change anything. Uh, but we're going to shed light on, my goodness, some some terrible, terrible officiating um, in this game. But nonetheless, Carson Beck, I mean, did a great job in this football game. He distributed the ball well, distributed it to multiple guys. Again, you had a couple of guys who were not 100% 
but yet still was able to get them the ball and find fits when they were needed, but also find fits in other spots um, with those guys being beat up and spreading the ball out. And we've been really good at that all season. Really for the past few years, Georgia has been very good at distributing the ball to multiple wideouts, multiple tight ends, not just one guy. That's the reason it's been a very long time. Georgia has not had a wide receiver with 1,000 yards in a season that's because Georgia's not throwing it to one guy and A.J. Green who's wide open down the field 50% of the time. It's because we're, we have multiple guys who we can throw the ball on, and, and your quarterback can call on those guys and make the plays. Again, eight incomplete passes in this entire game is what he ends up 21 for 29 on the night. Almost 250 yards, no touchdowns, no touchdowns. They all came by way of the ground game um, in this one, so – that's part of it. Carson Beck, really good. Kendall Milton, 45 yards on the night. Uh, ends up netting 42, does have the two touchdowns. Dejon Edwards, also 38 yards for himself. Again, Georgia only rushing for 78 yards in the game. And this is one of the things that I kind of noticed. And this is one of the things really in the third quarter that stood out very, very heavily to me. Um, there was a point where I started going, okay, we're, we're, we're leaning on the run game pretty well in the first half, and then we kind of went away from it altogether. And that can be a difficult – it can be a difficult thing to kind of balance because it's like, all right, you, you have to have a run game to still have a – still be able to throw the ball. And if you're able to throw the ball effectively, it should be opening up the, the run game, and that wasn't happening. I don't know if it's because our offensive line wasn't getting the push that I thought that they would have in the second half. I don't know if it's because of play calling exactly why that wasn't happening, but really the third quarter is what's going to stand out to me the most, and we'll talk about it here in just a minute because we're going to kind of break down quarter by quarter um, and look at how things work. Brock Bowers, 53 yards on the night. Lab McConkey 38. Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint, 30. Dominique Lovett, 24. 23-15 for Dylan Bell. John Edwards also had 11. Arian Smith with a big 51-yard catch in this game as well. Makai Muse had 14. Oscar Delt, 4. Kendall Milton, 4 as well. Again, a really nice, a really nice game uh, for Carson Beck through the air and had plenty of plenty of returns on this one. Uh, Brett Thorson had a uh, had a good night kicking as well. Uh, Peyton Woodring had only one miss in this game, and it would prove to unfortunately be the difference in the game. Uh, but Georgia had a had a I'm not going to say a chip shot, but a pretty decent kick uh, that was available for um, Peyton Woodring in this game. And then we have a false start that pushes it back to a 50 yard kick, and unfortunately missed it. But to me, had it had it not hit off the upright, it looked like he could have kicked it from 55. I mean, he had a great leg into it. And I think that's going to benefit Georgia in the future as he being a freshman uh, to be able to be successful. You know, he started the season roughly, but by the end of the season got very, very uh, successful and very consistent, which was very important for Georgia moving down the stretch of this season. Um, and then in the SEC championship, I mean, it was still good. He made the other field goal that he had in the game. Uh, again, that one just bonks off the, off the upright after a false start call against Georgia, where if they don't get the false start call, again, don't know if he'd have made it or not, but it'd have been a little bit closer for him, nonetheless. Um, so, overall, you know, I can't. It's hard for me to feel bad about the game because, for the most part, Georgia did a really good job in this game. If I look on the other side of the ball and what was going on with Alabama, Jalen Milrow goes thirteen for twenty-three, so ten incompletions. 192 yards, but he did have two touchdowns. Now, the big number on here for me uh, is that we were sacking them. 
We sacked him four times in this game. Four times. So Georgia's defensive line and also defensive edge guys, we were able to get through the offensive line, who is supposedly the best offensive line in the country, according to Alabama fans, that is. Warren Brinson got one. Jalen Walker got a couple. And then uh, Tremel Walthar, Walthar, excuse me, Walthar, Walthar. Man, I couldn't say his name there for a second. Uh, he also had one on the night as well, and they all proved to be big yard plays. Uh, Warren, his his one sack was worth 11 yards. The two for Jalen totaled up to 16, and then the Walthar was also an 11-yard sack on the night. So Jalen Milrow ends up being the second-best running back, running for 68 yards against Georgia, but then that got negated by 39 yards just in the sacks alone holding him to only 29 yards on the ground. So he gassed you at times when he did get loose. Uh, but in the end, he doesn't have a ton of yards. Uh, Roy Dale Williams did run for 64. Obviously, their main running back was hurt in this game and unavailable to them. Isaiah Bond, 79 yards. Jermaine Burton, 28 yards. Uh, I mean, you know, they they – a lot of this game felt really balanced, and it, it never felt like this game was out of hand. Even at one point when we get deeper into, like, the second quarter where things started to kind of really run away for Alabama, that was probably the biggest quarter for Alabama, and Georgia had no answer for it. Georgia really wasn't doing a lot offensively in the second quarter. And then the third quarter when you thought Georgia might come out and do something about it, that didn't happen either. We come out of the third quarter uh, and immediately punt, give the ball back to them. Now, luckily, nothing came of it. We get the ball back, and then we fumble it. And and the only mistake of the night ends up possibly being the, the toughest and worst mistake of the night uh, because of that. Again, tough on the exchange and all. But let's kind of look at things. I want to break things down here quarter by quarter and just look and see, okay, this is what I was thinking might be the difference in the game. So the first quarter alone, and I'm going to break it down by yardage, time of possession, whether it's through the air uh, or on the ground. Georgia in the first quarter got seven points uh, to Alabama's three. 87 yards through the air for Georgia, 59 yards – or excuse me, 87 total yards uh, for Georgia, 59 total yards for Alabama. Georgia through the air for 54 yards and on the ground for 33 Alabama only threw for nine yards in the first half on the ground for 50. Um, and, and Georgia came into this game, and, I mean, it looked like we were clicking on all cylinders. Immediately, Georgia drives down the field, scores a touchdown. We stop Alabama on the first drive, uh, get the ball, obviously drive down a score. Get They get it back. We stop them again, and it was like, all right, here we go. Looking, It looks really, really good to start this game. And then we didn't do anything with it. And then they get the ball back. And they drove down a little bit, and they end up punt or kicking a field goal. And again, that that makes it seven to three. Time of possession on this one, Alabama had it just a little bit longer, almost a minute longer. Seven fifty six for Alabama to seven oh four. And I know this sounds silly. Like, why are we talking about time of possession? But you're going to see what I'm talking about here in just a second. This second quarter was the biggest turning point, uh, really, in this game. And we talked about early on the adjustments that Georgia would make in-game, not just halftime, not after a game and it being important to later in the season, but in-game and how Georgia would make adjustments. And Georgia made some in this one, but Alabama made more. They made bigger changes in what was going on in this football game. And that was very, very tough. Um, Alabama immediately in the first half, I would say by the second quarter, 
switched their defense around to a little bit of a different look. It kind of went from this is again listening to to what uh, uh, Austin Brooks was talking about over on on the Film Guy Network, how they went from a bare front to like a three three five defense, and things looked different. But that didn't necessarily have to change everything about what Georgia was doing. But it did it affected Georgia pretty heavily because we didn't move the ball nearly as effectively in that second quarter as we moved on. And Georgia's trying to make some of those changes on defense as well against all Alabama's offensive line. Alabama was really smart in the way they played too. I saw they had some 12 personnel kind of moving in there as well, kind of disrupting that Georgia defensive line who at the point, again, ends up on the night four sacks uh, and was able to get to Milrow. And there were a couple other times we were able to get to Milrow but not able to get him down. And that's always been the kicker to me is when we play a team who has a running quarterback, sometimes we can get there, but we don't finish it when we get there. You know, he's still able to get loose and, and still able to run for first downs or, or touchdowns or whatever it may be that he ends up having to run for. So that's the first quarter breakdown. Then we get to the second quarter, and again, this is probably the most important quarter of the game with exception to what happens in the third quarter as well. Georgia has the ball in the second quarter for 8 minutes and 15 seconds compared to Alabama's 6 minutes and 45 seconds. I tell you the time of possession, and this is why. Alabama, in that little amount of time that they had in comparison to Georgia, scored two touchdowns in this football game. Georgia scored none. It was a 14 to nothing shutout in the second quarter alone. So when we kind of go by like quarter to quarter, all right, who wins this quarter, who wins that quarter, you'll see in this game, Georgia won three of the four quarters as far as points and a lot of other things go. But Alabama won the second, and that's all it took to run away with the game, not really run away with it, but to end up winning this football game. Alabama scored 14 points in the second quarter. Georgia scored none. Uh, Georgia had 56 yards. 37 of those came through the air, 19 on the ground. Alabama had 112 yards in the second quarter. 101 of those came through the air and 11 on the ground. And this was a complete flip the script. This is what happened in this second quarter. Complete flip the script where Alabama had only uh, thrown the ball for nine yards in the first quarter. And then they turn around and throw it for 101 in the second quarter. They had rushed for 50 in the first, only rushed for 11. So it turned into a very, very pass-heavy team in the second quarter. And I don't know if their game plan was, hey, let's let's try to run the ball effectively in the first quarter, and if that doesn't work, let's throw it in the second. You know, I don't really know what their game plan was. Don't have the script. Call Connor Stallions if you want to know it. I'm sure he can get you some information there from Michigan. But that second quarter, huge turning point for Alabama. Again, no turnovers at this point in the game. It's still nothing to nothing at this point in the game as far as turnovers go. And the half looks like this, 17-7. to seven. Alabama has 171 yards. 110 of that's coming through the air, 61 on the ground. Georgia had 143 yards, 91 of that through the air, 52 on the ground. Georgia had the ball just a little bit longer, 15 minutes and 19 seconds, whereas Alabama had it for 14-41 in the first half. Again, second quarter turning point in this game. Alabama got a big lead, 17-7. to And not going to say they never had to look back, uh, but at that point it really kind of shifted things to where it was like, all right, now we just kind of got to hold them off. And they did that. And this is where things, again, changed a little bit more here in the third quarter. Ends up even, 3-3. Three and three. So technically Georgia didn't win the third quarter. They tied the third quarter. 3-3 three to three ends up being the score in it. But Georgia had the ball eight minutes and six seconds, another quarter where Georgia has the ball for over eight minutes. Eight minutes and six seconds. Alabama only had it for six minutes and 54 seconds. 
Georgia and this yardage, this is what's going to blow your mind as well, but you'll understand why here in just a minute. Yardage, Georgia had 97 yards. 94 of it came through the air, three on the ground. Georgia really in the third quarter completely went away from the run game. And I know some of that is because they were not being affected in that run game in the second half, and they weren't in the first half either, so why would you continue to go back to it? But only 94 yards through the air out of 97 total yards uh, in this third quarter, only getting a field goal out of the entire third quarter as well. Alabama only gets a field goal as well, and they had the ball for six minutes and 54 seconds. So basically Georgia had it for eight minutes. Alabama had it for seven minutes in the third quarter. They both only get a field goal. Georgia had almost 100 yards in the third quarter alone. Alabama only had 17. 17. 13 of it came through the air. Four of it came on the ground. And the biggest part of this is because this is when the fumble happened for Georgia in the third quarter. Georgia had the ball. Runs a double reverse. We fumble it. You guys watched it. I know you did. It was tough. If you're going to have a turnover, it would suck to turn it over on Alabama's 20, but it's a lot better to turn it over there than it is to turn it over on your own 20. And I don't remember what yard line it was that we turned it over on. The Georgia 11. Yeah, that's brutal. It feels like we were a little further away than that, but that's what that sheet says. But you can't do it that deep, not that deep in your territory. When that happens – it's tough. The good thing about it was our our defense stepped up really, really well and only held them to a field goal. They didn't get a touchdown off of it. They got a field goal out of it. But it's still very, very difficult when that happens. When when the first quarter you win seven to three, but then the second quarter you get routed fourteen to nothing. Fourteen to nothing. And then the third quarter you're trying to drive and it's it's not happening. And you end up th- three points is all you get out of that entire quarter. And you you Outgained that second quarter by a lot. It was the best quarter by yardage by far. Again, we we really got away from that run game and really were passing the ball heavy in this game. But, again, I think some of that was trying to make a comeback in this game. And at this point, uh, we come from 17-7 to 7 to all of a sudden it's 20-7 to 7 or 20-10 to 10 as we head into the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter is something that Georgia did win. Georgia won it um, at least points-wise, yardage-wise, and all that, not so much. Only had the ball for five and a half minutes compared to nine and a half minutes, basically, for Alabama. A couple seconds difference there. Um, Georgia scores 14 points. Alabama scores seven. If you out, if you don't let Alabama score in this fourth quarter, you win the football game. Um, the important thing that I noticed in this, though, is that Georgia scored in the fourth quarter. In a, in a game in years past, Georgia has not scored in the fourth quarter. We talked about in the national championship when we played them in 2021. Georgia scored in the fourth quarter, and they won the football game. And they scored in the fourth quarter in this one, but when you're not scoring in that third quarter when you get the ball back after the half and you're not scoring at all in the second quarter, that's very, very difficult. In the end, Georgia had uh, 81 yards in the second half, 58 of that through the air, 23 on the ground. Alabama had 118 total yards in that quarter, 69 through the air, 49 on the ground. Some of that was eating the clock at the end there. Uh, Again, that's why they end up with the ball for almost nine and a half minutes in the fourth quarter alone. Um, But at that point, it's pretty smart. You know, you're up by 10 points, headed into the fourth quarter against number one team in the country. Do everything you can. Clock, clock, clock management. Eat the clock run the ball, throw it when we need to, get the first downs, score if we can, which they did, and keep the ball. Try to milk the clock as much as you can. And they did a great job of it. The second half stat difference was 
Uh, 17 points for Georgia, 10 points uh, for Alabama, 178 yards, 152. This is the big one, 178 total yards for Georgia in the second half. 152 of that came through the air, only 26 on the ground. That tells you the difference uh, in, in running and passing almost 30 yards, I believe, is the difference there in the first half and the second half. With the one turnover, Georgia had the ball 13 minutes, 32 seconds. Alabama, again, 10 points in the second half, 135 total yards, 82 through the air, 53 on the ground. No turnovers, again, being a big part of this football game. And, and fairly balanced, not as not like 100% right, 50-50 down the middle as far as balance goes. But they were able to run the ball and throw the ball. And, again, when you have the lead and you're trying to eat the clock, you can be a lot more balanced like that when you're fighting from behind and the pass game is the only thing that you have that's really being successful right now. You have to throw it more. Um, and obviously your yardage is going to be a little bit higher when that happens. Um, so that's how, the, that's how the game ends up. Again, it's tough. It's tough when, when this is the team that you lose to. It's tough that uh, you lose it in general. And it makes it even tougher when that Sunday comes around and every chance that you thought you had is just gone. It's just gone that quick. Um, it was a fun ride, though. Hey, 29 straight games. You know, you can't – if you're a true Georgia fan, if you're a true dog, which if you're looking behind me, you can see I am, you don't give up on your team just because of one loss. It doesn't matter who it's to. Um, and one of the big things that I want to make sure that I say even coming off of that, which is tough, again, 27-24 to 24 is the final. Uh, Georgia falls in the SEC championship game to Alabama. Uh, but the biggest thing is, even after all of this, we have to understand, man, we're still in the good old days. Just because you lost that game right there doesn't mean that next year you can't get right back to the same spot and play for it again. Now, you have a lot tougher schedule next year than you do this year. Everybody wanted to talk about your schedule this year. Next year, you get the tough schedule. You get the schedule that people can't talk about it. They can't say that you don't have a tough schedule. But you got a long road to hoe to get back to this point. And things are going to be a lot different next year. There's a lot that's going to change. The, the teams are going to change. We've already got a ton of guys who have already decided they're transferring out. We knew that it was coming. It happens every year now. It's just a new thing in college football. And even as the number one team in the nation, even as even as back-to-back defending national champions, even at the time that we had only won one national championship, there were, team, there were players who still left at that time. And, and since we're on that topic right now, I want to say this. You will never hear from me about a player who's leaving saying, man, wh- where you go? What you get? Why, why are you doing that? I'm not going to say it. There's only one player I've ever said that I, I, I didn't understand why you would leave and why you would leave to an enemy as big as they are, and it's a guy who left and went to Alabama and absolutely showboated after this game, and that's probably the only player I've ever seen transfer from Georgia that I truly just – I don't have much of a care in the world for him. And I don't know very many people that do. And that's, you know, that's just my opinion on it. Again, everybody has their own. But for everybody else who's transferring out, man, I'm glad that you have the opportunity and had the opportunity to play for Georgia and be a dog. I'm glad that we got to cheer you on when you were on the field or or whatever it was that you may have been doing with the team. And we wish you nothing but the best as you move forward. Um, And a lot of this, you know, Football now, college football is not just a game that we enjoyed five years ago, ten years ago, and and we're we're happy for the players that we had. Um, it's turned a lot more into a business, and if opportunity for you to grow, if opportunity for you to better yourself becomes available to you, 
why in the world would I be upset that you're leaving to go and better your future, better your life, better the possibility of your life being better in the future? All of those things kind of wrap back together there. Um, I wish you nothing but the best. You know, I hate to see you leave. I think anybody that comes and plays for the University of Georgia, I'm excited to have you here. And when you leave, it stinks, but I wish you nothing but the best. I, I, we hate to see you leave, but I understand it. Again, it's such a, a business-centric game now. It's not what it was 10 years ago. It's not what it was five years ago. Um, and you have that opportunity to go and do what you want to do. And I can't blame you for it. I hate it, but I can't blame you for it. Um, and then the second thing goes for, for the opt-outs as we kind of start to move to bowl season, something that hasn't happened for Georgia over the last two years because most people aren't opting out before playing for a college football playoff. But this year, you're not playing for a college football playoff. So those opt-outs have already come. And – we're going to see what happens as the weeks go on. And same thing for those guys. I get it. It's a business. You have the opportunity to play in the NFL. You have your opportunity to try to make your draft stock better. And and the fear of injury, um, season ending for your rookie season in the NFL, that's understandable too. You know, the money that you can make by getting signed and being in the NFL and being a high draft stock means a lot more than playing in one more game that doesn't mean anything. And if you're an FSU fan or an FSU player, evidently none of them mean anything, so why play any of them? But we're going to talk about that uh, here in just a minute. Again, glad to have you guys here. Excited for you guys to be here, even though not the most exciting uh, turnout in the SEC championship game. But we kind of move somewhat on from it. Other than this, what terrible officiating we had in this game. There were some terrible terrible calls and i'm going to talk about the number one uh i'm not i'm not going to say it's the difference maker in the game because we don't know that's that's the bad part you know so many people want to say that the officiating is the reason that georgia lost a football game it's probably got something to do with it I, there's no doubt that we lost some yardage there's no doubt that we lost some possessions because of officiating but we can't say definitively that that's the reason georgia lost the game uh, you have to make the plays. You have to score more than the other team. And when it's as close as this one, it does make you really scratch your head and go, man, but it seems like if some of these calls would have went the other way, Georgia really would have won this football game. Again, we can't say it. If you make enough plays, if you make more plays and score more points, uh, then you don't have to worry about that. And that didn't happen. You know, Georgia didn't make all the plays they needed to make to be able to get there. Again, that third down efficiency when you're really good all season and then all of a sudden you're not in a game like this against the biggest opponent in one of the biggest stages that there is, it's tough to win a football game like that when you're not making those extra first downs, when you're not extending drives. Carson Beck did something that I thought that he would need to do coming into this game, and that's use his legs to extend drives. I saw him do it multiple times in this game. It, not for a lot. He didn't rush for 100 yards, but he extended plays. He, he, he created drives and continued drives by doing that, um, and we needed that. He was very big in this game, and I was, I was proud of it. As far as the officiating goes, man, it's tough, tough. A uh, couple of holding calls that, that never saw. Um, pass interference, you know, is always kind of a eh, toss-up. The horse collar was horse collar. I mean, that's all there is to it. That was – I've never in my life seen somebody grab shoulder pads and be called horse, horse collar for it. Um, we'll move on from that. But the worst of them all was this 
drop pass, and I'll I'll touch on it briefly, and we'll move on. But how on earth, how in the world, do you have a play like that in one of the biggest games on fourth and what I think it was like fourth and four, a a difference in one team having the football deep in another team's territory by giving them the first down and the catch without a review, and the difference in the other team having the ball deep in their own territory but having the ball go in the other direction. Um, and the thing about it was it's one thing that, yes, Alabama was smart. They got on the line and they snapped the ball really quickly to try to continue a drive. But officiating also had enough time to go, wait, 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 we need to look at this. And I, I saw uh, I saw uh, uh, Eric had posted this earlier on the Bulldog report that uh, there was really nothing Kirby could do. I'm assuming under that two-minute mark, you, you, you can't really challenge a play or challenge a call or have, have them look at a play without them uh, – enticing that themselves by looking at it uh, through the replay booth. I'm not 100% sure what the rule is on that. He could probably tell me a little bit more on that. But it really stunk that that happened. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then especially because CBS went so over the top about it that they bring in Gene Steratore to, to st- sit down with them and, and say, well, what was this? And they was like, oh, yeah, it's not a catch. But the thing that made it so bad, so awful – is the fact that they snapped it really quick. Okay, there's nothing we can do about it at this point, right? Well, then Georgia gets the ball, and I swear it's like five plays later. Georgia gets the ball, a pass to Arian Smith, easily caught, definitely a catch, pops up. We're trying to run the next play, and it's, let's take a look at this one. So we're, we're, we're in the same amount of time. We can't stop a play that was much, much closer to not being a catch, and turns out it wasn't a catch, as opposed to – a play that was clearly a catch, we've got enough time we can stop and look at this. You talk about that. That's probably the maddest I've ever been at. Okay, I've been pretty mad at a football game, and I've been pretty mad at some officiating, but that for it to be like that blatantly to miss a call before it and then turn right back, right back around on the team that you missed the call all of a sudden trying to look at something, I mean, I was dumbfounded. I was like, how in the world – do you not replay something that turns out not to be a catch that you called a catch? Don't even replay it. And then something that's clearly a catch, you replay it for the potential of it not being a catch. And it was. It's like, what What are we doing? That's where I really started to go, all right, wh- what's happening here? They're not reviewing Alabama's, and it wasn't a catch, but they called it. But they're reviewing Georgia's that was a catch, and they think it might not have been. I was mm. – that's the worst thing I've ever seen. And I have seen – I've got friends, again, grew up in the state that are big Alabama fans. And they the picture I see going around right now on social media is is the guy's knee down as the ball's hitting his arms. And they're like, he's clearly down. Read the rules. Read the rules. I went through and found like, what is it, Section 3, Article 4B or 3A, whatever it is that talks about catching and and having to maintain through the ground. And if you don't do that, if the ball shifts, how it's not a catch. Unreal, but we're not going to go. We're not going to go down there. But rough rough officiating, you know, I I hate bringing up the past. Thinking about uh, the offsides call. That would have been another fourth down play that Georgia would have had the ball back. Um there's there's been a few of them, man. There's been a few of those calls that were that were tough. But again, if if Georgia has a better offensive plan and defensive plan for stopping Alabama, and we're able to score, which that was a stop, that was a stop, and Georgia gets the ball back. But 
my my only argument to it is it, we keep saying that could have been the difference in the game. Could have been. Very well possible. Georgia very well might not have scored anything off of that, and the score would not be any different. I don't know. Can't say definitively. Um, the turnover late, it hurt, but luckily it was only a field goal. Now the game ends up being a field goal difference. If you don't get that and, and, and maybe you don't score, but they don't score either, it's a tie ball game at the end. I don't know. So many things can go so many different ways when this when certain plays happen. That's why I don't put a lot of uh, uh, weight to one specific play, especially like second quarter. It's like, okay, there's two and a half quarters of football to go. This play does not necessarily change everything. You know, if it's fourth quarter, there's three seconds left in the game. You got to have this first down and you don't get a call. That's a different, that's different. If it's on the half yard line and they, they say you got a touchdown or, or it's on the half yard line and they say you're short, but you were really in and they don't review it. That's different. Um, but when it's that early in the game in certain situations, it's kind of tough to say. Kind of tough to say. Uh, so tough officiating, but in the end, hey, Alabama got the win. Uh, and you got to tip your cap to Nick Saban. And it, I don't like to do it. I don't enjoy it. But when you are con- just just consistently beat uh, by a team, you have to do that because Kirby Smart is a really, really good head football coach. Um, and Nick Saban is a very, very good head football coach too uh and the two of them have a ton of mutual respect for one another um obviously kirby having worked with nick for a long time and you have to again you just have to tip your cap when the guy across from you beats you and that's what happened on saturday you know alabama made more plays than georgia did and i hate it i hate every every waking moment of it uh but it doesn't change what what you woke to woke up to on sunday um, and that's a 12-1 and final record. That is the opportunity to go and play uh, in the Orange Bowl. And that leads us to our next part of this, which we get to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee on Sunday. And uh, I am going to harp on this for a quick minute because this was tough. This was tough. One last thing. Let me, let me jump back to the SEC Championship game and officiating. I looked at my notes and saw this. How is a team that has, ha- has been penalized more than a ton of – a lot of teams in the SEC. I don't know what Alabama finished last year. I don't know what they finished this year, but one of the most penalized teams in the SEC in Alabama. How do they not get penalized very much in that SEC championship game? Did they have one penalty the entire game? There we go. Now we're talking. Georgia had five penalties, 56 yards. Alabama had three for 36. So it was better than I thought. I thought Alabama only had one. Uh, but regardless, it was just tough. Just tough. Let's move on to the to the selection committee. So multiple things happened in this. We talked about it last week coming into this thing. This was an in facto playoff game. The SEC championship game, more than anything, was basically going to be a playoff game. It's win and and you play for the playoffs, lose and you don't, more than likely. Um, and it really maybe I didn't weigh this enough because I didn't I did not think Georgia would lose this game. And it's not because I doubted Alabama. It's because I believe that much that Georgia would win it. Even in games that Georgia was close in this year, they found a way to win. And Alabama did not look consistently that good. There's a reason they were ranked eighth in the country coming into this SEC championship game. Um, so after losing it, 
I found myself really having that hope. You know, there's there's the SEC shorts that comes out, and it's the girl who's – she's hope, you know. And uh, they like to pick on Georgia about that really well before the past couple of national championships that they've won. But I had it. I was full on. I was like, man, we lost. Man, we're out of the playoffs as soon as it happened. And then when I woke up Sunday, I was like, you know what? There's a chance Georgia's still in this because Georgia lost to Alabama. Washington beat Oregon. Didn't think that was going to happen. We thought Oregon would stomp them, and they didn't. That didn't happen. Thanks, Oregon. Um, Michigan beats Iowa, and FSU beats Louisville with a third-string quarterback. No mind you. And then Texas, they win their their bowl or their bowl their their the Big Twelve championship game there as well. And then Oregon, you know, Ohio State, they're just sitting there. They they don't really matter. Uh, but I had that shred of hope, man. I had that hope of okay. You know, more reading I do, a number one team, three things happen that have never happened. A number one team has never fallen out of the top four, even after winning or even after losing, I should say. A number one team has never top, fallen out of the top four. Uh, and, and, and again, Georgia lost by a field goal in the SEC championship game. The the To me, the toughest game, and, and a lot of people call it the national championship before the national championship happens in a season, a lot of times when you have two top-tier SEC teams like you did in this matchup. But a number one team has never top, fallen out of the top four. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. You know, maybe, maybe that'll continue to be true. And then I look back last year, a TCU team who was ranked, I'm assuming they were ranked second. I thought they were ranked third at the time. But they lose to a, what, number 14 or number 15-ranked Kansas State team in their conference championship game they lose and they they fail one spot they they only fell one spot they didn't fall out of the playoffs they failed a third and i was like okay that happened now i know a lot of other things happened too other teams lost that were just below them and it and it really shuffled things in five six and seven it kind of shuffled things around enough to where it was like hey tcu can still get in this spot with one loss and they had squeaked by some games. But I was like, all right, well, if you can lose a conference championship game and not be deemed a conference champion and, and still get in, that, that that's possible, right? And then I look at the years also previous to that, and you have teams who are not even playing for a conference championship game who get in. Taking Ohio State last year, taking Alabama the year before, um, or, or the year before that, 20, heck, I may be thinking about the 2017 season, but there have been seasons where teams don't win the conference championship game and get in, like last year, and sometimes they don't even play for it and they get in. So I had that shred of hope that, that came into my mind where I was like, man, Georgia might still be in this. You know, they could, they could find themselves third or fourth. Um, and I've got FSU friends and, and, and love them to death, but part of me at the end of the night was going, man, I need FSU to lose so Georgia can have one of these last spots. Little did I know what was going to happen at 12 o'clock uh, on, on this selection Sunday, but my goodness, did it happen. Um, so number one team has never fallen out of the top four. A undefeated Power 5 conference champion has never been left out of the college football playoffs. And a team ranked below sixth has never gotten into the top four of the final to play for the college football playoffs. All three of those things happened on conference or on selection Sunday for the committee. 
not only did the number one team top, fall out of the top four, they fell all the way to sixth. They fell to sixth place, Georgia did. An undefeated 13-0 ACC champion in, in FSU fell from the top four to fifth and will not play in the conference or will not play in the college football playoffs. Two teams, not just one, but two teams below the sixth ranking jumped into the top four in the three and four spot from seven and eight in Texas and Alabama. And as soon as I got up Monday or Sunday and I had that shred of hope that, hey, maybe Georgia gets in here, I started looking and and listening to the beat writers and kind of reading what was going on and watching ESPN and listening to them on the radio and everything. And I heard a whole lot of talk about Alabama, FSU, Texas, and nothing about Georgia. And it started to dawn on me. I was like, wait a minute. That means if nobody's talking about it, Georgia's not getting in. It's just not going to happen, right? Because if nobody's even bringing them up, how, how how do they get in? How do you leave them out? You know, I talked about this last week. The committee cannot – they can't judge Georgia off of the last 30 games Georgia's played. They can't judge Georgia off a 2021 team who won a national championship. They can't judge them off of a 2022 team that won the national championship. They have to judge them off of a 23 Georgia team who was 12-0 and at the time. They have to judge it off of those 12 games and then the 13th game that they played in the SEC championship game and lost. And that's what, you know, that was what was in my mind. Okay, they have, they have to judge it off of this. And then it dawned on me after I saw Texas at three and, and Alabama at four, I was lying to myself because they were still looking at things from years past. And the reason I say that is, this is one of my arguments that I've made to this point. If you take, let's just say, some random team out there named Alabama and and they win the, the let's say, 2001 National Championship and the 2002 national championship and they're undefeated in 2003 and they haven't lost a game in 30 games and they lose but they were ranked number one all year and and they were ranked number one when they lose to the number eight team georgia um that number one team with the name alabama who did all that would most definitely be sitting in third or fourth even after losing that game to number eight georgia who was 12 and one at the time or 11 and one that's my argument if a team named Alabama had the same exact scenario that Georgia did at this point, I do not believe they'd be left out. That's my opinion. Somebody else out there could probably tell me, oh, that, that's a lie. That, would, that, that wouldn't happen. I believe it would, to be honest with you. Um, and the uh, Michigan, we're going to talk about that in a second. Washington, they deserve to be right where they are, 100%. Uh, they won their football games. They got there. But as soon as I saw Texas in three, I knew Alabama would be four because the only reason I believe that Texas is third is because they cannot put Alabama in without having Texas in because Texas beat them. So as soon as you saw Texas at three, you knew Alabama would be fourth. Um, and I'll say this. I, I do feel bad for the FSU fans because – you did everything there was to do on the field. 
And I can't help but wonder, had Georgia not beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, Georgia one, Michigan two, Washington three, would FSU not have gotten in at fourth? You know, to me, I almost think that had Georgia won that, well, it would have kind of limited just how good that win for Texas was over Alabama. So then maybe they would have said, ah, well, Alabama's got a couple losses. FSU belongs in that spot. And I put that out on Twitter as well, asking it, wondering. And a lot of people said, no, they would have put Texas at fourth anyways. I don't really think that they would have. I think if Georgia wins that game, that FSU is fourth. And – Again, I feel really bad for, for FSU fans, players. When your quarterback gets hurt and he says, hey, I wish I'd have got hurt. I wish I'd have broke my leg earlier in the season so that way y'all could see this team is more than a quarterback. The committee put the word I in team on Sunday. They took I, which was the player in, in, in Jordan Travis, and put it in team that doesn't belong. A team is not made up of I's. A team is made up of all of us as a collective team we are together in this we're brotherhood fighting this battle to win football games and when you say jordan travis is the team you put i in it by using him as that example and that's not right 2014 ohio state played with a third string quarterback and won the national championship the thing that aggravates me is they were not judging fsu off of a season they were judging FSU off of a game, and that was against Louisville. Because all of the talking heads, all of the arguments that were happening were not, oh, yeah, look at look at FSU and, and how they were in all these games. Look at FSU. All right, well, let's look at them playing Boston College. Not the cleanest game, but, but FSU has a, a dominant defense, one of the best defenses in the country. And no, their offense might not have looked the greatest, but again, they were playing with a third-string quarterback who, let me go ahead and put this out there if they didn't realize this, will not be the quarterback who's playing when they play in the playoffs if you would let them in. Unless something worse happens to to Tate, he's going to be in the game by the time they get to the playoffs. But they didn't look at that. They didn't think about that. They thought about a Louisville team who had just lost to a Kentucky team who was mid-range SEC and said, eh, you know, that wasn't really a clean game. They won by 10 points. You know, they won their conference. They're undefeated. They won every other game. But, yeah, they're going to play with a backup quarterback. <sighs> probably probably shouldn't put them there. Let me take you to 2017 when a quarterback in Alabama gets hurt in the SEC championship game and, and is all but done, and Nick Saban changes a quarterback out for another guy who comes – actually, Jalen wasn't hurt – uh, just wasn't playing good, changes it out for a, for a freshman. And he comes in in the second half and, and beats a team who would go on and play for the national championship later. And then he does the same exact switcheroo the next year. But yet, you can't trust an FSU team who – Jordan Travis is an elite football player, a guy who could fight and play for the Heisman had he not gotten injured, 100%. But you can't penalize the team – for winning their games. And listen, it's not an FSU podcast, but it does matter for them the reason that we're here too. But my goodness, how how, how do you do that? And then I look again and I go, okay, Georgia was the number one team in the country. Alabama at the time was number eight. 
And the final ranking, to me, this final ranking that you see, because the top four is the only thing that will change. Obviously, some others will change with bowl games, but bowl games is a whole nother thing. But the top four, you cannot get into the top four if you are outside of it from this point forward. The four teams who are left will finish in one, two, three, or four in that order, all based on how the games go. That's all there is to it. That's how they end off. Georgia cannot be better than sixth at the end of this season unless they beat FSU. They'll be fifth, but they can't get any better than that. But you're telling me a team who now this final ranking, this is what they say, hey, this is where we truly believe these teams belong as they get to the end of the season. So you have a number one team in in, in Georgia who loses to the number eight team. Now all of a sudden you think Georgia is only the sixth best team in the country, but yet that's enough to give the eighth ranked team a fourth ranking. Make that make sense. If you truly believe that Georgia is not one of the best teams in the country, they're not the number one team, you had it wrong all year somehow, all year long, and, and, and all these weeks of, of college football playoff ranking, with exception to the first week where Ohio State was there, you, you, you thought Georgia was the first, and then they lose one game by a field goal. It's, it's one thing if Georgia got beat by 17. I would understand it. There would not be an argument here. But you lose by a field goal to the number eight team, you are now deemed the number six team, only two two spots better than the previously ranked eighth, and that's enough to put them two spots above them at fourth. I don't get that. I don't understand it. I don't understand how – I really just don't understand the committee at all. Again, I would understand if maybe one of the three things that I said earlier happened. If if the number one team had dropped out or, or an undefeated team was left out in the Power Five or or two teams from the below the sixth spot get in, one of those, you know. If one of those three things would have happened, it would have been like, man, they, that, that was wild. But they, they, they stayed consistent. They, they, they stuck with what they've known over the years. In 2014, when Ohio State got in the college football playoff, ends up going and winning the college football playoff national championship with a third-string quarterback, they did that. That consistency was not here this year. And a TCU team who lost their conference championship game last year, last year, 365 days ago, TCU lost their their conference championship game to Kansas State, only dropped one spot still in the college football playoff. I don't care what happened below all of that to make that happen. They only fell one spot. That consistency was not still in the same position this year. And you can say, yeah, but look at the national championship last year. TCU got blown out. Okay, let's have that argument. What happened to Michigan? What happened in the semifinal game between Michigan and TCU? Was that not deemed a good enough game? Because they had to get through Michigan to get to that point. If TCU didn't belong, they wouldn't have beat Michigan. That wouldn't have been as a competitive game as it was. That wouldn't have been as good of TV as it was. Or is that what it is? It's got to be good TV. Might be part of it, hadn't it? Alabama, big brand, a lot to talk about. Texas, big brand, a lot to talk about. Washington, Michigan. You got some pretty important parts on a map that you can put together, but a Georgia and an FSU being really close together right here, that doesn't that doesn't make for much broadcasting, does it? You put Texas in there, boy, that brings in a big, big group of people, doesn't it? Now I'm just talking conspiracies. But anyways, if just one of the three things would have happened, it would have been like, man, you know, still pretty consistent, though. It stinks that this happened, but pretty consistent. But the fact that all three of those things happened in the same committee, 
And the thing that kills me is they go, oh, well, it'll all be fixed next year in the 12 team. Is that just your excuse to be able to say, hey, we can do whatever we want this year because next year it won't matter. Y'all will be fussing about who's in the 12 spot. No, we won't. Does anybody want to see Georgia and Ole Miss? Show of hands, if you guys are watching on YouTube, make sure you comment this in. Give me the thumbs up. Anybody want to watch Georgia and Ole Miss play again? Because that's what would have happened. Georgia and Ole Miss would have played again. A game that would have ended 52-17, to 17, something like that. Let's let's watch that one. Let's run that one back in a college football playoff scenario. That's what you'd have got. There are going to be good matchups when this happens in the 12 team. There are going to be. There's going to be some teams that shouldn't win that are going to win. There are going to be some upsets that will happen. But for the most part, you're still going to have the top teams that are going to win the games they need to. The hard part about it is now you're adding more games to a schedule for a lower-ranked team that they have to fight through. So now injury becomes a bigger thing that, that you've got to fight off as much as you can. How are these games going to be structured? How close together are they going to be? How much rest are these guys getting to be prepared for the next time? I don't know. That's a lot of stuff to figure out next week, next year, I should say. But I I, I was I was fairly blown away on Sunday by this by this committee. Um, if I ranked it the the top four, Michigan, Washington, FSU, and I thought I I still think that Georgia should be four. That doesn't mean that I don't think Alabama's not a good football team. But when I look at matchups and and strength of schedule, so much harder for Alabama. I don't I don't understand why. I mean they they played LSU. Okay, a lot of teams played LSU. LSU was not that good this year. You know they played Arkansas. By the way, Arkansas not a good football team. Not bowling this year. You won by a field goal. Um, they played an Auburn team who played Georgia really well, and Georgia only beat them by a touchdown late in the fourth quarter at Jordan Hare. They beat them on the on the last second touchdown in the end zone or last 45 seconds whatever that it that's what it took on fourth fourth down for them to win the game there they had really close games too texas beat them at their house at night pretty handedly then texas lost to a terrible oklahoma football team a team that they thought they were going to have the rematch and oklahoma state put that to rest texas won nonetheless but it's like I, I don't see how the comparisons are lining up that much. I just don't see it. I, I don't understand how in the world uh, it ended up that way. But guess what? It did. And that's all there is to it. I'm excited for Georgia to get to play in this Orange Bowl. Um, you know, this is the point where we start to say, okay, this is not necessarily going to be a a true blue is Georgia better than FSU? And this is the also the bad part about it. Because FSU didn't get in, and, and nobody really wanted to give any kind of explanation to why Georgia didn't get in. Oh, well, Michigan won their conference. Washington won theirs. Texas won theirs. Alabama won theirs. FSU won theirs. Georgia didn't. That's the only thing they say. And it's like, yeah, but this has happened before. This, the other teams have, have not lost, not even played, and got in. Now, Ohio State didn't get the back door their way in. Um Georgia's not the sixth best team in the country. They're better than that. Um, and you're probably going to find that out here in the next couple of weeks, but you're not going to find that out in the Orange Bowl. And, and sadly, even if Georgia goes in there and wins 52 to nothing against FSU, it's not going to say, hey, Georgia, they belonged in the top four. Maybe we got it wrong. It'll be, see, we got it right. FSU was not that good. You won't get the credit as a Georgia fan, and you never do. You won't get the credit as a Georgia uh, team 
for beating FSU badly. You won't you won't get the credit for that. They won't say that you belonged in the top four because you did it. They'll only say that, see, FSU didn't belong. And if you lose to FSU, all they're going to say at that point is, uh, FSU was good, but, meh, Georgia really wasn't that good of a team. That's the only argument you're going to get. That's the reason that Georgia went from one to six because FSU is better than them. And, again, this is where we get to that point where it's like, okay, are you really going to be looking at a team who's finishing off 2023 or are we kind of starting to look ahead at what you might see in 2024? Which of these are you getting? And I really don't know the answer to that. Um, a ton of guys have already transferred. We've got like 12 guys that have already transferred from, from Georgia. A couple of guys have already transferred uh, from FSU, one of which I know has already declared for the draft, one of their top wide receivers. Um, so I don't know what kind of a matchup you're going to get. Um, in that Orange Bowl. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I'm fun. I, I'm excited to at least watch it and check it out just because it's football. Um, we got a long time till we got to watch that, which is the reason we're not going to have another episode. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take through Christmas and enjoy it. And once we get to that Orange Bowl, I'll preview it, and then I'll review it, and that'll wrap up season four more than likely. I uh, might try to get on Hunter one, one last time before we uh, wrap things up for the season. Uh, but that's kind of where I stand on that. And then the last thing, kind of as we as we get ready to wrap up here, uh, Michigan. I do want to talk about this for just a second, um, because there there is the potential that in three to five years, if even that long, they they take a look into all this that's been going on with Michigan, and is there the potential that they take a look at all this and they go, huh? We're going to need to vacate some wins for Michigan. We're going to need to. Uh, take this away, but the problem is they, they, they're they not going to do that now. They're going to do that later down the line. And the more I think about it, it's like you have a, a head coach who started the season in trouble, started in, in trouble, didn't coach the first three games of the season, and then he ended in, in trouble not coaching the last three games of the season. So half of the season for Michigan was without their head coach due to being in trouble, due to have allegations against them at the start of this thing and then at the end of this thing. The start of it, the potential for uh, buying a cheeseburger, I know it's a lot deeper than that. But then the end of it, for the potential of sign stealing and the scandal that that is that, that took over all of college football in the second half of the season. But six out of the 12 games of the season, they were without their head coach because of disciplinary action taken from the university so that way they didn't have it brought down by the NCAA or whoever wanted to do it. Does Michigan actually belong in this position? You know, we're going to look back, and if they vacate all this, all of a sudden it's like, all right, there's a spot that, that they didn't belong in, shouldn't have been in. Another team should have been in that spot. I don't know. Unfortunately, that's the bad part when you have some of these things happen is it's everybody who's behind it, the years to come behind it. They're the ones who have to pay for it, who have bowl – uh, restrictions can't play in bowl games or whatever it is for however long that they see fit after that that's that's a pretty tough thing and one of the things I was thinking about where I was like eh that's kind of tough if that happens might not happen a little slap on the wrist for the, the couple things he got might be all they do and uh that's part of it you know so that kind of wraps us up here unfortunately losing the SEC championship game I know it stinks um Hope to get back there next year. Again, tough tough schedule next year, I should say. Um, double buy. I did see the two buys came back, which is kind of kind of wild. 
you know, opening the season in Atlanta against Clemson. Then we play like Tennessee Tech, get a bye. Um, and then it's we go to Alabama, a couple other games. We go to Texas, get the bye before Florida. You're going to Oxford this year and play in Ole Miss. Um, really good schedule. Should be a fun schedule, tough schedule. You know, Georgia should probably have the – I would think probably the number one strength of schedule coming into the season next year. So, hopefully, if Georgia has a really good team put back together – um, they'll be ready to rock and roll with that. So that way nobody can go, oh, yeah, but they're not playing anybody because we don't have Ball State or anybody. And I told you guys last week, or I was talk, telling a friend about that, if if Georgia goes undefeated in a schedule like that and gets left out of the college football playoffs somehow, maybe we should just schedule Ball State, UAB, Texas Tech, and, and, and teams like that all in place of games that aren't SEC-like play just so that way you have uh, easy matchups all season long and don't have to worry about losing a game if, if they don't really matter. That's just making the FSU argument. Um, do want to say, uh, again, shout-out to some of these dogs who are leaving, who you hate to see leave. I've seen quite a few of them. Xavier and Sori, I saw he was leaving. Makai Muse, uh, he's leaving, um, which I thought he showed really, really good flashes in G-Day and also as a punt returner in this season. I, I don't know if uh, – uh, the SEC championship game is something happened there where it was kind of his call out. Um, Brock Vandegrift already gone and, and at Kentucky. Um, shout out to him. You know, uh, again, if you can go and further yourself, and I think he's already graduated too, if you can go and further yourself and give yourself more of an opportunity, more power to you and, and, and wish you nothing but the best on the way out. Um, to me, it sounds like we're probably going to have Carson Beck because of back. Carson Beck back because of that. That would be cool. That would be awesome to be able to have him back for another year. Still have not heard from Brock Bowers. Still have not heard from Lab McConkey if they plan to come back for their senior seasons. Uh, Zirkle, our kicker, he, he's he's headed somewhere else too, um, which is kind of, you know, some of these I kind of scratch my head out. But, again, if you can better yourself or you feel like you want to go somewhere else, I understand that too. Um, and, again, wish you nothing but nothing but the best as you continue on from it. So, we're going to wrap up our, our episode there. It's been a little bit longer uh, here just by myself on this one. Usually when I run one this long, it's because uh, because I have a guest on, but I don't I don't in this one. Just plenty, plenty to talk about. Um, so, again, I appreciate you guys listening. Like I said, we're going to kind of take a little hiatus for a little while because uh, we just are, you know. Not, not much football to talk about here for a few weeks, at least till we get right there around Christmas time before we start to – get ready for the Orange Bowl matchup against FSU. Um, and we'll do that when that time comes, whatever time it is. Just make sure you guys are subscribed. Again, I appreciate you guys. If you guys are watching, hit the thumbs up. Like it if you're watching and you haven't subscribed yet. Make sure you subscribe there on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter at DogTalk20X, whatever it is uh, now. Same thing, Instagram, Facebook, all of the pages, everything. I leave these the link tree in the description of the podcast. You can click that link. It'll take you to everything. Literally click the link tree that's down there. It's literally link.tr, linktr.ee, backslash dog talk, maybe dog talk 20. I think it's dog talk. But if you click that link, it will take you, and you will see a barrage of links to, to YouTube, to Spotify, to Apple Podcasts, to Instagram, Facebook, everything that we have. If you click that link, it'll take you to every bit of it. Um, and if you guys are listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you guys are listening, give us that five-star rating and review. I would greatly appreciate that as well. So as we kind of wind things up, again, Thank you. 
Thank you guys for being here. And I look forward to checking in with you guys after Christmas time and seeing how your Christmas went. Uh, and we'll be preparing for the uh, Orange Bowl when that time comes. I'll check in with you guys when it does come that way. Go dogs. <laughs>